Well, uh, if you do need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We read from the Bible every week, and we're, we're getting acquainted with reading from the pages, not just the screens. So we'll have the references. Just raise up your hand if you wouldn't mind. We're not going to have them up on the screen. We're just going to put the reference. We want you to look at the Bible in front of you. And um, part of the reason is just simply expectation. If I come in grounded on something, I'm looking at something, I'm expecting to get something out of it rather than passive li- listening we're looking for active listening, and, uh, and so that's kind of the goal. And if you want to find your spot, we're going to be in Matthew. We're in a new series that's launching. Today is the first day of Advent, uh, and let us adore him. That's the goal of the season. For those of us who follow Jesus, it is about gift giving, and it is about parties, but there's something more. So uh, take your time. Go to the table of contents if you're new to the Bible and find Matthew. We're going to read from Matthew 1, verse 1. And basically, why are we doing this series? We, just, we, we believe that Christmas is about more than trees and tinsel. We believe that this is about more than parties and gifts and chaos and stress. But rather, God has something for us. It's our annual rhythm of invitation. And every day we're invited to experience life in this person called Jesus. But there is something special about these markers, these, these Easter and Christmas rhythms of just the normal calendar that really press in God's heart for us. And so we're going to read this morning from Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Because it's really long, I just recorded it earlier. This I need a little pause. So we're just going to listen. Um, we're going to listen to Matthew 1. Verses 1 through 17. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen 
from the exile to the Messiah. Morning voice. How do you like my morning voice? Or it could have been the Bible app. Uh, probably. Yeah, I think it was the Bible app. Well, uh, I'm just wondering how, how long till you got lost? How long did it take for you to tune out and go, okay, what's going on here? And I don't know if I want to come back to this church who reads lists. And, and we just want to ask ourselves this Christmas season, why? Why? Why in the world would Matthew start this good news about Jesus with a 23andMe list of Jesus' DNA? Like why in the world, why, why start here? And what we want to do is so often we sanitize the Christmas story. We sanitize it. We whitewash it. Even the animals look like they've been to the spa. If you, if you think about the Christmas story, it's been so heard and so told that it's almost impossible to, to talk about it and preach about it because you already know where it's going and you already know the end game. So what we're going to do is we want to adore Jesus and we want to look at every week leading up to our Christmas Eve gatherings. By the way, on Christmas Eve, the last message in this series will actually be Christmas Eve and we'll have two gatherings, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., both identical that you can invite your family and friends to. Why? Why does, why does the good news start with a list of names? And so here's what we're going to do today. We want to ask ourselves, why do the genealogy? We want to ask ourselves, what's supposed to be obvious? We want to ask ourselves, what's a surprise? By the way, there are at least five surprise names in here that shouldn't be here. But Matthew drops them in. And because this is ancient, this may seem new, but let me tell you, it's life-giving. Here's what we're going to do. Let's start with the question, why start with a genealogy? Why would you do this? Um, you could do an entire series, and I've actually seen people do an entire series on just the genealogy of the names leading up to Jesus, and it's super interesting. We're not going to do that, but why, why the list? The first is, is because Jesus is someone special. He's called from the line of David. He's a son of David, and and. That doesn't mean anything to us yet. But if you're early and you're reading this or hearing this 30 years after Jesus is resurrected, and you're wondering, who is he? And is he the one that God had promised he needs to be a, a, disec, a, a direct descendant to David? And so part of the reason that Matthew is writing, he's writing to people who have a background in the Bible, and he proves by giving us the list, he is a real person who really walked this earth and you can trace his background to the greatest king of all of Israel. What, what Matthew is trying to do and what we need to get this Christmas if we're really going to adore Jesus is that Matthew reminds us Jesus is the one that the whole Bible has been leading towards. Jesus is the one that history is leaning towards. Jesus is the one who's fulfilling the thing that God had been talking about for thousands of years. So Christmas doesn't begin in Bethlehem. It begins at the beginning of the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you think of the Christmas story, if you really want to read it from the beginning, you need to go to Genesis 1.1. And that's exactly what Matthew is going to do. So let's look. Um, we're not going to look at all the names in the middle as interesting. Even salmon. Sounds like a fish, right? Salmon's in the middle, but we're not going to figure out who that guy is. We're going to look at verses 1 and 17 because here's what Matthew does. He teases us at the beginning. He gives us all the names and then bam, verse 17. Wow. This is why we should adore one person in all of human history. 
that you and I should give our life, our love, our allegiance to is one person. And here he is, verse 17. We'll start with verse 1, though. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what it says in English. Now, whenever you translate from language to language, you have to add words because our grammar is different than their grammar. But actually, Matthew starts his genealogy with eight words. And I have it right under there. Book Genesis, Jesus Christ, of David, of Abraham. Now, next week, come back and he flips the order because... The story of God's people starts with Abraham and then moves on to David. And for some reason, Matthew flips the order and says, of David, of Abraham. Why? Well, come back next week. We'll still have donuts anyway. Well, while the list of ancestors is like boring to us, what we see is a family tree. And then Matthew gives us the big names that you don't want to miss. Book Genesis. Let's just start with that. Uh, well, the English Bible says the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Well, it's saying the same thing, but what you may miss is what Matthew picks up on. You see, the Bible, the first part of the Bible, which was written in mostly Hebrew, by the time of Jesus had been translated uh, into Greek and into Aramaic, and it, it was translated into the language of the day. And when the Bible is translated into their language, what does Genesis start with? It starts with these words, book Genesis. What's Matthew saying? Why adore Jesus? Matthew knows the Bible. And because in his day, Matthew's Bible starts with book Genesis, what he's going to give us. And I think part of the reason that Matthew is the first gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is it ties together like Genesis begins all of the Bible and the beginning of God's work in his world. Now in Matthew, we see book Genesis part two. Not a new story, not a new thing, but rather the continuation of everything that God had been doing. So the Bible in his day, Matthew's day, starts with Biblos Geniosis or book Genesis. And so does Genesis 2 verse 4, which talks about the beginning of creation. And so does Genesis 5 1, starts with book Genesis and gives the ancestry of Adam and Eve. So what Matthew's trying to do is to tell us, flashing lights, this Jesus is no ordinary human. He is ushering in a new genesis, a new beginning, a new way of relating to God, and you could be a part of it. By the way, today is a new beginning. It's December the 1st, new month, but it's the first day of Advent. And now growing up as a kid, we never really celebrated Advent in a formal way. Maybe you're from a tradition that did that, that had an Advent calendar or an Advent candle or Advent uh, wreaths or all of that. And it's all Advent means is coming, the coming of something special. It's an ordinary word that got adopted into the church life because in Advent, we remember, and it's usually four weeks before the coming of Jesus, Advent looks back to Jesus' coming, Matthew 1.1. But more than that, it actually thinks ahead to his coming again. So Advent is where we, God's people, look back and remember, look at what God has done, and we remember the promise of Jesus who said, I'm coming soon. We read from Revelation 22, I'm coming. So what we're doing here is remembering Jesus so that we can worship and adore him and we look with eyes wide open, Jesus, come back 
make things right. All right, book Genesis. But then he goes on to say, book Genesis, Jesus Christ. So it's not just a new beginning, but the new beginning is all about one person, Jesus, the Messiah. Rarely rarely does Matthew ever use the word Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this is the only definitive time that he's going to use it in his gospel. Some other allusions, but mostly it just says Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But now, stamp. You need to know who this Jesus is from the first line. Jesus is the one that God had been talking about. Jesus' very name is a giveaway. It's short of the word Joshua, which means Yahweh, God, saves. So here it is. New beginning. God saves in Jesus. Now, unfortunately, this is kind of known, but this isn't the center of our Christmas, is it? The center of our Christmas has become about family gatherings. It's become about us. It's become about beginning of a new year and turning over a new leaf. It's become about all these things which are all beautiful, but they're not the center of the story. The center of the story is and should be what God has done in Jesus for us. All right, so that's the first line. Uh, Book Genesis, Jesus Christ of David, that's next week, of Abraham. All right, let's just jump down to verse 17 because he actually ties this all together. After all those names which prove where Jesus comes from, he says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. It's an interesting thing. Why 14? Why 14? Why why did he do that? As a matter of fact, Matthew leaves out a bunch of names. It's not, it's not, he skips some. He renames others. He's proving a point here. Four things, Abraham, David, exile, Messiah. And this is the path that sometimes we forget, especially if we've been around the church for a long time. What's God's story? He traces what God had been doing, Abraham, David, exile, the one we don't even think about, and the Messiah. So thinking of those, that's what he says in verse 17. I want to go back to verse 1 in our brain. The book of Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Those of you who've been around church or the Bible for a while, you know David it was one of God's people's kings, right? There was Saul, then David, and then a bunch after him. But when you think of the Bible and the most known king, who's the one who slays Goliath? David. Who is the one who is seen as the best of the best of the kings? It's David. And David is the one that God speaks to and promises, I'm going to give you as an inheritance. By the way, All throughout the rest of history, there is going to be a king in your line. I'm going to do it. And David, you're going to come be with me someday, but you need to know your legacy will be through your line. There will be a king forever. Now, those who knew their Bible knew this. So they're reading or hearing for the first time. There's a new Genesis, a new beginning, and it's in Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, Of David. This is God's person. And then he goes back and he says, uh, of son of David and then son of Abraham. Abraham is the beginning, the the, the father of the faith. Remember, God came to Abram and said, I'm going to bless all nations of the world. I'm going to do this. Why? I'm God. 
And I love you. And here's what I'm going to do, Abram. You trust me. I'm going to make sure that the entire world that I've created is going to experience my presence and blessing through your family line. And Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is of David and of Abraham. That might not be a big deal to us. But if we think about our faith, remember, Christmas doesn't begin in Bethlehem. It doesn't begin in Nazareth. It doesn't begin in Egypt where Jesus is whisked off because his life is in danger. It begins in the garden, the Garden of Eden, where God makes a beautiful world and he makes beautiful people, you and me, and he says, I want to live with you and I want to lead you and I want to guide you and I want your life to be intertwined with my life and we have a garden and it's amazing and I want you to take it, it's mine, and I want you to do something beautiful with it and together you and I are going to enjoy life until sin comes and we turn our back on God and Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. Because God is mad? No. Because the garden is the place of his presence. The garden is the place of perfection. It's a place where God who is holy dwells. And now that we're out of sync with God, how can we be in God's space? But God had done something from the beginning to tell us about what he was going to do so that in 2019, as we think about Christmas, our life can be realigned with the heart of God. That's better than a gift. Like I'm all about a new watch. I'm all about any Apple product that comes out, but I frankly would rather have the peace of God. I'd rather have the presence of God. And the good news is you can. Okay, so, so that's where the genealogy begins. Like already I think some lights have gone on like, oh my gosh, I skipped that. I don't blame you. It's boring until you understand what Matthew's doing. Now, what's supposed to be obvious? And I say supposed to because it's actually not that obvious to most of us. What's supposed to be obvious? A couple of things, write them down. God promised blessing to the nations through Abraham's family. We need to get this. Matthew is writing to people who've actually read the Bible, who know the Bible. Some of us just don't know it well enough yet to make the connection points. But we need to know God promised blessing to the nations, not just to Israel, not just to one group of people, but to all of the nations. And this was going to happen through Abraham. And guess what? Jesus is connected to Abraham. Second thing, God promised a king from the line of David. He promised that there would be a real king, and this king would lead on the throne just like David did. And that's why the connection between Jesus and David and Abraham, there's more about David next week. But I wanted you to see the connection point. The world is going to be blessed through Abraham. God's people are going to have a leader through David. And Jesus fits the connection point because he's connected to both. But then there's this little bit about exile, which is a new word for most of us because we don't even think about that. Let me just clue you in a little bit of Israel's story. So they had a king, David, and David was simply supposed to teach people God's ways, teach people God's presence so that they could walk in closeness with God. But like everybody, David has flaws. Would you agree? And so all of us have flaws. And what happens when flawed people try to lead flawed people, flawed things happen. And Israel, God's people, just like us, continue in the cycle that's downward. Rather than closer to God, and God continues to warn them, sends prophets, messengers, to speak the word of God. Come back, come back, come back. The Bible word is repent. Turn Turn back to God so that you can experience a garden-like life. 
where God's presence is in the middle of your life and you're in the middle of God's presence, not perfect on this side of eternity, but beautiful. That's God's heart for you. Well, Israel didn't do that. And finally, God said, you're really not getting it. And so what I need to do is to treat you the way your life deserves. I'm going to pull you out of the land. Everything that this people had seen as God's presence was connected to God's land and God's temple in Jerusalem. And because they wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, they killed the prophets. Instead of listening, the kings were evil. Everyone was evil in some way. God said, I'm sending you away. You need to know, just like Adam and Eve, removed from the garden because of their rebellion, you can't say you've got God's presence when you don't want to go God's way. And so he pulls them out to show them, look, I'm, I'm for real. I'm holy. There's none like me. And so you ought to live in my presence and live in my way, not just on the holidays. Do you see the connection already? Christmas becomes a turning point towards God, but when the new year comes, it's about losing the fat and going to the gym. And then by April, we're trying to figure out, did I pay enough taxes or do I owe? And then by April, all of us are so tired of the clouds. We're like, where are we going away for the summer? And then the cycle of the calendar just continues with all of us, doesn't it? It just totally continues. What God does is in the, in the exile, he breaks the cycle, and they're totally thrown off. They have no land. They have no king. They have no place to worship. And God gets their attention in exile and says, I'm going to bring you back to the land. I promise. So what we need to remember is the third thing. God promised to bring back his people from exile. God promised to bring them back. God had promised, and he keeps his promises, there will always be someone on the throne like David, a good king. Not perfect, but a good king. And, and this king will lead you to know the law of the Lord, God's word, so you can live it. The king and the kingdom was never about one person and authority. It was about a place of peace where God's people can hear God's word and live God's way. That was the point. And God says, I'm going to do it. Now, a little bit of history. By the time Matthew comes, they're back in the land. They rebuilt the temple, but something was wrong. Like, really wrong. For one, there's no David-like king. The Romans rule the land. The Jewish people rule the temple, but under the Roman authority. And there's no justice. When David was king, people could live out the Bible because the king said yes. But now you had to live under Roman law, under Roman rule. And so God's people were a little confused. God, you kept your promise. We're back in the land. But where's our king? And how come it's not like you said it would be? And so they were longing for a Messiah. David was a Messiah-like person. An anointed, the word Messiah simply means anointed one. God's presence is on them. So David, like the king, had God's presence. And other kings, some of them did, some of them didn't, were like, had God's presence, but most of them walked away. But they were looking for someone to come who's going to be like David and lead God's people and usher in God's peace. And do you see where Matthew's going with this thing? Book of Genesis, there's a new beginning in Jesus, Yahweh saves. The Messiah. Oh, connected to David. Connected to the story of Abraham. Jesus is everything the entire Bible has been pointing towards. And this is why you have the Old Testament or Old Covenant, Old Agreement, 
New Testament, New Covenant, New Agreement, and I hope you see the connection point. We don't throw away the old. Old does not mean irrelevant. Old means before the Messiah had come. Before Messiah and now in light of the Messiah. And so we read the whole Bible in light of Jesus. Now, what surprises do we find? Because some of this is just names, 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 names. I want to highlight just two surprises, three things we can do out of it, and then one practical thing I'm inviting you to step into to make Christmas a big difference. A big difference is Christmas in the life of one person. All right, I'll start with the two things. What surprises do we find? First surprise, notice the women that are on the list. There's women on the list, which may not seem like a big deal to you, but most genealogies in the ancient Near East did not include women. Most were from man to man to man to man. And this wasn't disrespectful or discounting women. It was just, just that's just how the family line was laid in. But Matthew throws in five women, not one, five. Tamar, who, by the way, had a, if you know the history, had a child out of wedlock. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was from the evil land of Moab, which was against God. Bathsheba was seduced by King David and ends up having a child with David while she's married to another man. And then you have Mary, who's a nobody. So what Matthew does is in the middle of this, this is what God's doing, this Genesis, this new beginning, it's in Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's the promised one of David, he's the promised one of Abraham, and then he's like, oh, but don't you forget that God has set apart these women. Don't you forget. And that's a word to us today. Now, let's make it even more interesting. Four of the five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, were not Jewish women. They were most likely Gentile women. But I want you to see the connection points. God promised blessing to the whole world through Abraham. So all the seams are being tied together. I want you to see this. God's promise was for the whole world through one people who would share God's word to the whole world. And look at what Matthew just so beautifully does. He says, even in the middle of God working through Israel, God was working through other nations to bring his Messiah. So Ruth is connected to Jesus and Bathsheba is connected to Jesus and Tamar is connected to Jesus and Rahab the prostitute is connected to Jesus. And then there's Mary who is from the, from the people of Abraham. God's going to bless the whole world through all of his people. By the way, Matthew is in no way slamming these women. All of them have an interesting story to tell. He's not slamming them, but he doesn't put in the women we think. Matthew's selective. In a genealogy, you didn't have to include everybody. You include the people you want to for a particular reason. But what we don't see here is Abraham and Sarah, right? You'd think you would talk about like the big women of faith. He uses more obscure women. You'd think Rebecca, Isaac's wife. You'd think Rachel, Jacob's wife. You'd think you bring in the heroes and their wives, and that makes sense. He's like, no. Because there's a second point he wants to make that's totally a surprise. Not only the listing of women, but imperfect people are part of God's perfect plan. We need to get that. This Christmas, we need to remember that you don't have to have it together to be included in God's story. And you don't have to have it together to be used by God in perfect and beautiful ways. And that's the twist. 
And it's reason we should adore Jesus. Why? He uses people like us. And not only are we in the story, we're connected to Jesus. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. The genealogies about the people before Jesus, guess what? You and I are now a part of the genealogy post-Jesus. We're connected back to Abraham. We're connected back to David. We're connected to Jesus the Messiah. He just lists the people before Jesus. You and I are the people connected after Jesus, which is mind-blowing. But man, I'm spoiling next week. Okay, what should we remember? Three things we should remember really quick, and then I'm going to give you an action point that I hope many of you will take. First, God is faithful from generation to generation. The story of Christmas is always the story of God's faithfulness, not the faithfulness of the shepherds, not the faithfulness of the wise men, not the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary. They're all faithful too in, in measure, but really it's about God being faithful from generation to generation, which is why, you probably heard it this morning, Christmas does not start in Bethlehem. It starts in the Garden of Eden. It starts at the beginning of the Bible, not at Matthew 1.1. And so second thing I think we need to remember is every person in generation has a part to play in God's story. Every person. So part of the takeaway here is we need to take a long view of our life and a long view of history. We saw generation 14, 14, 14, all these generations, which include thousands of years of history, but every person has a, a part to play. And so what we want, because we live in an instant world, is instant change. And guess what? That's not life. We want instant change. God works from generation to generation. By the way, that means your season of life might be hard, but might be because of your allegiance to Jesus and your worship of Jesus and your faith in Jesus, it actually may bring in a cycle of blessing beyond you. And what we need to do is get our eyes off of the next 10 days and get our eyes on the next 10 generations. What would it look like if Jesus doesn't come back, if 10 generations from now in your family line were changed because of your allegiance to Jesus today? That's amazing. And that's the best gift of Christmas. And I think the, the third thing we need to remember is the good news of Jesus is for everybody. This is for everybody. So you're included in the genealogy, Jews and non-Jews. And you're generation after generation. And these, these wonderful and wise people and these not so amazing people, they're all included in the list. And I think that's why Matthew starts this way. Because he's going to end his gospel, Matthew 28, with this commission to take the good news to the ends of the earth. Well, that's what makes sense. Because that's how the gospel begins. God has worked all around the world to bring in his Messiah, his Savior, and now that we know him, we ought to let the whole world know. So men and women are included on the list, young and old are included on the list, Jew and Gentile, kings and former prostitutes, everyone's in there. God wants to reach everyone, which is why we are emphatic about helping people experience life in Jesus. Why are we here as a church? We want to help people experience life in Jesus. Why? Because this is the good news. And this good news is not just for young people. It's for old people. And it's not just for white people, but pe people of color. It's not just for Americans. It's for all nations. And so our names are connected to the genealogy so that we could go to the nations and live out the gospel. And that's, that's amazing. That's 
way better than another cheap nativity scene. Or expensive one, I'm sorry. I don't know your budget. It's way better than just like this place in the corner of our living space to remember an event. This is about you being connected to Jesus and being sent out to the nation. So, all right, I ask you to consider doing something. What does this tell us? I think this just leans in on children. And I just want to talk about kids for the next few minutes, and we're going to respond in worship. Uh, the genealogy reminds us that, that there's parent to kids and parent to kids, and there's always another generation coming. So as a church, we're emphatic about thinking about ourselves and the next generation. We want to raise up people, and if you're young here, it's not that we love you more, it's that we love you more. <laughs> Why? Because you have many years ahead of you? Actually, you don't know if you do, because none of us know the number of days we get. But we realize that the faith has been passed on to us, and so we want to make sure that you're grounded in the faith, and you're active in the faith, and you're fluent in the faith, and you're sent out in the faith while you are young, so that you don't have to look back at your life and say, man, I wish if only one decade earlier I had chosen to follow Jesus. Now, that's some of our stories here in this room. It took us a while to figure out this news was good. So we're saying if you're young here, we want to empower you and send you out. And so we always want to be looking to the next practical thing. You may be here and you may be saying, well, well, I have a heart to serve God. Great. I'm just going to suggest there's many ways you could do it, but maybe you should think young. In other words... Maybe there's an opportunity to pour into someone who's younger than you. Maybe you could just be an informal mentor. Like you could find someone who's whether age-wise younger or younger in the faith and invest in them. It's why we do group life because we want to be passing on the faith one to the other. But specifically, we have um, purposeful groups in our church to invest in the young. So on Wednesdays, our middle school and high school uh, students meet, and maybe that's been a desire of yours to really invest in the next generation. I would say in the coming year, uh, talk to Ryan, talk to Nate, talk to our team, and they'll let you know about opportunities. We want more people in our church investing in young people. That, that's, to me, that's what the generations say we ought to do. And, and you say, well, uh, middle school, high school, they frighten me. Okay, um, that's totally cool. What about our kids? On the first Sunday, every kid's worker doesn't get to be in the gathering because they're with your children right now. If we grow our team of people who are willing, and when I say serve with the kids, you don't have to have skills. If you're a skilled teacher, fantastic, we could use you. But most of the opportunities are just being there and loving kids and following the direction of the, the class leader or teacher. And when it's craft time, doing crafts. And, and when it's snack time, doing snacks. And when a kid's just crying because mommy's not around, trying to be a little uh, a comfort, right? Every one of us can do something like this. I'm just saying, in the coming year, the genealogy tells me we need to remember the next generation and, frankly, not get so caught up in our own feeding and our own us growing that we look past those who are the church, not just the future church. So, so uh, by the way, in the coming year, we're starting uh, a, a new work for young adults. We realize that there are some of you, you're past high school, but you're like, I want to connect with other people that are more my age and have my burden and my passion. And, I, you know, Jose, you used to have hair. I want to talk to someone with hair. Like, you know, um, or whatever. You know, whatever you see. If you're a young adult here, we, we recognize. We've been waiting 
for the right time to have the right leaders, and we have that. So you're going to hear some announcements in January. We're adding some team to our staff. To our, we're, we're building up our team. Why? Just to have more people on payroll? No, because we realize we want to we remember the next generation, young adults and middle school and, and high school and kids. You are the church, and so our role is to joyfully share Jesus is amazing even though we don't have it all figured out. Follow Jesus, and so that's what we're going to do. All right, that's one. And some of you resonate with that. If you do, just connect with someone on our team, and we would love to engage in a dialogue. Second thing that anybody here can do and is really passionate to my heart personally, but to our church, we're in partnership with lots of other churches, and one of the churches was planted by you a year after we started, and it's in the north of Uganda in a, in a town called Arua. Some of you have been to Arua and know what I'm talking about. And this church was planted by a dear friend of mine, uh, John Paul Sawava Chibedu. And we have been walking with this church. We helped purchase land for them six years ago because relatively speaking, per square foot, it's cheaper to buy land there. You, because of your generosity, helped erect a tent, which is now more of a permanent church structure. You, because of your generosity, helped start a school because a big lack of the good news for the long term in northern Uganda is the education of children. If they don't have an education, there's no opportunity. And you could love Jesus, but if you can't feed your family, life is pretty horrible. So we've been partnering. You've been doing it just by your regular generosity. But there are unique opportunities for you as an individual or a couple or a family to step in and enhance. So we're already supporting this church, already supporting this school. But one of the things that is needed is sponsorship for the children who attend the school, which, by the way, most of them come to the school and do not have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, nor do their family. And so I'm just thrilled to say 132 of you already right now are sponsoring a child in Arua through the, the organization we work with called Africa Renewal Ministries. And I've worked with them for 19 years. They're based out of Uganda. Their pastor, Pastor Peter Kasiravu, has preached at our church, has stayed at our home. This is an organization that's not just another NGO. These are friends. These are brothers. These are sisters. Every time I do an outreach in Uganda, it's through Africa Renewal Ministries, through their church, through this work. And I'm asking you to up the ante. So when we started, our goal was about 200 kids, and we got about 150 sponsored. And in the last two years, for financial reasons, some people have had a drop-off. What's a sponsorship? It's a commitment of $40 a month. Hear me, for one child, and then double hear me, for the long haul. So what we're asking to do is to sponsor a child, not just for six months, not for a year, but the goal would be to help them in their education, partner with their family, by giving them education, basic health support, feeding every day that they're in school, school uniforms, and discipleship to Jesus. Because all of the kids who are in our sponsorship program go to a Saturday class for sponsored kids that's run by the local church. Think of it as VBS on steroids. Uh, it, it is discipleship to Jesus. So they're getting a regular education. By the way, the school that many of these kids go to is Solid Rock School, which is on the campus of the church that we planted. And so not all of them go to this school, but they're all in Arua. They've all been identified as needy children, and they're all in a program. By the way, the parents receive education in basic hygiene and health 
and discipleship to Jesus. From when the church started, they had, you know, 50 kids, 70 kids, whatever, through the sponsorship program, now there are 600 kids every Sunday. 600 kids. Many of them are the sponsored kids. And by the way, kids bring parents to church. And so as they go to church, their parents and their extended family. So I'm asking you to do something today, right? So what, we, what we've done is we've been thinking about this behind the scenes. We thought the best time to bring this out is when we talk about the next generation. So when you go out, there's Get Connected tables if you're new to the church. And then to the right of those, right, and then to the left of it as well, there's two tables. Both of the tables have, we have 62 uh, of these sponsor kids that would get us to about 200. And so they've been working in Uganda to find and identify children who need an education, need basic health care. Their family's not able to do it. It doesn't mean their family is not willing. It means their family's not able. And so what you can do is by $40 a month, that commitment, you can partner with the church and their family to bring hope to that child. In order to do this, I need you to hear the specifics. Um, there's only one packet per child. So my wife and I, I think we have a, uh, a picture. We sponsor two, chi uh, two children in Arua. I, I met them last November. Uh, Rabina is on the left, and she's 11 years old, even though she doesn't look very much 11. And that's Joel on the right, and he's uh, nine years old. And so this is on the land that we helped purchase. This is at Arua Community Church. And here was the funny thing. I was there so quickly, I didn't think they'd have a chance to, for me to meet my sponsored kids, but they did it as a surprise. I had just preached at their Sunday morning gathering, and they brought the kids. What a gift. To love kids. Now, I'll be the first to confess, I do it through EFT. I don't even see the money come out. Like, it's $80 a month for two kids. I literally just see it pop up in my bank app. So I don't even, like, have to activate every month faith. But look. So... If God, now don't do it because the preacher's crying, because if you're here for a year, the preacher cries every week, okay? So it's like, it's in the job description, but I've got one little packet. This is Rita, birthday, May 14th, 2011. She's in Arua. She's got a beautiful blue little dress, and so here's what I need you to do. If God's stirring your heart, go, and please don't shop for a child, just take a packet. If it's really important that it's male or female, that's kind of cool. But don't, don't look for the prettiest photo. You know, don't, don't do that. These are children. And you may never meet them. But you need to fill out the card front and back. And then they'll tear it off. You'll take the information about the child. And we need to keep the card because there's only one packet per child. So if you take the packet and say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. We don't know if they're ever sponsored. And this person's in limbo because there's only one packet. One person. So, so please do me a favor. Stay at the end of the gathering. Pick one up. As God stirs your heart, fill out the front and the back. You need to make a commitment. 
whether you have your checkbook or you know your routing number or a credit card to activate it because the sponsorship doesn't start until you actually pay the first amount. We will keep these. We keep them secure. We FedEx them to their office in Dallas. And then you're going to get info once they process it. By the way, there are organizations praying for you, which is really cool. They know we're doing this. They're praying for you that God would stir your heart. Now, if you already sponsor a child, thank you. If you already say, well, I do it through Compassion or I do it, you know, through another organization, fantastic. Well, I don't do it through Uganda. Jesus loves you too, you know. But we want to celebrate every act of faithfulness to love a, a child because the next generation matters, all right? So as I said, I will repeat it again. When you leave, uh, pick up a packet, stay in the gathering space. We have some friends who are going to be at both tables and they can answer any questions that you might have, pens for you there. Don't leave with the packet. Don't leave without giving one of our team the card, which tears off, and then we'll rejoice. You say, Jose, well, I'm not ready to make that decision, like, right now. Totally cool. If you're ready, do it today. If not, we're going to have them next Sunday. And so if you're not able to do that, whoever is left to sponsor uh, next Sunday, we will do that as well. This is the heart of God. This is the way of Jesus. And I think it just makes them smile when Christmas becomes about helping people experience life in Him. So based on the joy that I know by faith, 62 will be sponsored, let's just stand up and worship because God's given us the ability to help partner with a church to change the life of a child. Jeez, this could be the next president 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that country. And to think that because of Jesus, we get the privilege of partnering with him on developing the whole person, body, soul, and spirit to, to walk. The, this is amazing, man. This, this ought to make you rejoice. So what do we do? This morning, if you need anything, let's pray. We have a prayer room out to the right. And in response, as we sing, if God is touching your heart about anything, talk to one of our prayer team. Pray together. Let God, let God bless you and, and serve you and change you. And if you're ready to sponsor a child before you go, uh, do that. Lord, we thank you that you are of David, of Abraham, and even as Luke tells us, of Adam. Jesus, you stepped into time and space to redeem those that you love. You stepped on planet Earth to bring us back to you. And we look long and look for the future of Revelation 22. We look, we look forward to see ahead your invitation to come, come, come. And Lord, until you return, we celebrate Advent. And remember, you have come and you will come. And in between, you are coming. You're with us. You're here. You're now. And so we worship you, King Jesus. In your name. Amen. As we worship, I forgot to mention this morning, we do open it up for baptisms. And so if you, you're a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, when Brandon opens the table to take communion, I'm gonna invite you to just walk over to the baptismal and we would love to baptize you in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen, let's worship.